morning, folk. Um, Ian's reading the parable from uh, Mark 4, 21 to 25. Are you speaking on it? Jesus said to them, Is the lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to the light. Let everyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you give, it will be measured to you, and still more will be given you. For to those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Thanks very much, Roy. This is a very familiar passage, and uh, we've been looking at uh, Mark chapter 4, and there are several <coughs> parables in it. And the core of this parable is, first of all, very short, and it seems very straightforward. Uh, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? And of course, uh, a bushel basket, um, the translation I'm using here, a bushel was a, an old measure of dry goods that used to be used in this country a long time ago. And um, the way it was uh, used in times gone by was that you would store um, the, the corn or whatever it was in a basket. And the basket was um, very often a sort of woven basket, tightly woven basket. And, and then the bed it talks about was probably a, a, a very low bed, which was also doubled as some form of uh, seating. And, uh, um, and then, of course, he talks about the lampstand. And everybody understood about lamps. In those days, if you wanted to do anything in your house after the sun went down, you had to have a lamp and also a supply of oil. And the lamp was probably a simple clay version of the Aladdin's lamp, as we see on the picture up there. And there was a reservoir for the oil. There was a hole to allow the air to come in um, and a hole for um, some sort of wick to be put in. And that's where the, the flame was. And uh, for us today, putting on a light doesn't seem as though it takes much thought. You just switch it on. Um, and uh, um, I suppose these days, electricity is something that we don't think about. Well, we might think about it more recently because the sharp cost of electricity over the last couple of years and all over the place you see suggestions of how to cut down on electricity. Switch off the lights. Uh, don't leave appliances on standby was one suggestion. Use your tumble dryer less. Uh, spend less time in the shower. Um, suggestions of using air fryers instead of cookers for small meals and so on. Um, the people listening to Jesus knew all about lamps and they knew the price of lamp oil and they knew you couldn't afford to waste it. So they would all agree with him that when you put a lamp on, the last thing you want to do is to hide it in a bushel basket or under the bed. It was clearly stupid. No one in the right mind would do that. 
Then, of course, there was the fire risk. A tightly woven basket was the common way of storing the grain, and we've said the bed was a low couch. Um, in poorer households, all they might have had was some sort of bedroll. So putting a lamp in an enclosed space is not a smart move. It's a potential fire hazard. <clears throat> Linda, my wife, has a story of a famous visit that her cousins made to, to their family back in the mid-60s. She was about uh, 11 or 12. And the three boys in the family were aged five, seven, and eight. And they were all staying in the same bedroom. And uh, Linda's mum was part of a large family. There were lots of cousins that would come to visit, um, some of them rather lively. And um, it, it's, it's a family trend on the mum's side. They're all a bit lively. <laughs> they all have very strong opinions, and they tell you. And lively was, um, certainly in our day, um, for, with our children, a special teacher's code that we found all over the school reports um, in the primary school of one of our children. And anyone that knows our children will guess which one of them it, it was. And uh, anyway, the, these three cousins that were staying overnight in the same bedroom um, were all firmly in the lively category. And so when later on in the evening, um, her mum went to check on them because their parents were out for the evening and they clearly were not asleep. Uh, she could detect when she went in a burning smell. And she quizzed them what had happened, and they refused to say. And she worked out that they were f afraid of um, her, her telling the dad because they might get in trouble. Um, and so she cut a deal with them, and she said, look, I'll not tell your dad, but you must tell me what's happened. And it turned out that they had set something on fire, and then um, had decided to get rid of it by stuffing it under the bed. Um, now, putting a, something lit under a bed is not a smart thing. Um, and uh, she managed to get it out, and of course, it was one of those old beds which had a big space under it, and the space was, was filled with boxes and plastic bags with all sorts of stuff in. So it wasn't the safest place to... Uh, to put a flame. Anyway, dis disaster was avoided, and so they proved that beds are not the ideal place to stick a lit, something lit. But this parable is not just a public service parable warning people of the, the, the dangers of, of wasting lamp oil, or the dangers of putting lit flames under beds or in baskets. Um, it's something else. Uh, we know that Jesus used parables uh, to hide meaning from people, um, except to those who were true seekers. And uh, if we look at uh, verses 22 and 23, you'll see uh, it says, For there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Jesus seemed to be using parables as some form of security mechanism, a sort of message encryption. <clears throat> Carefully constructed examples from everyday life which could only be understood um, or be decrypted if you used the right key, if you were in tune with God's heart, if you were listening with the Spirit, if you were hearing 
and also truly listening. After all, about a third of the teaching that Jesus gave was in parables. And it allowed him to walk, walk this delicate tightrope between his own safety and uh, also of sharing the message of the kingdom. Uh, and of course, many of the people listening had their own ideas about who Jesus was and what he was saying. There were some who were suspicious of his motives. The religious leaders of the day were worried what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand it, but they were worried, um, and they were looking for ways to trip him up and to get rid of him. And uh, others were checking if he was going to cause trouble um, and disturb the delicate uh, political status quo. Uh, Herod's people and the Roman governor, they would have been looking to see what Jesus was, was up to. Israel, after all, was the Northern Ireland of its day. And some others actually wanted Jesus to disturb the peace. There was a whole load of religious zealots that, um, who were waiting for the Messiah to come and lead a revolt, and they were hoping that he would be the one that would come and start that revolt. But Jesus promised that what seemed hidden would be revealed, and secrets would come to light. The key to a successful decryption was listening to the voice of the Spirit. Let, any, let anyone with ears to hear listen, and they had to be prepared to act. So, what was um, this parable about? If we look at the whole chapter, here, right in the middle of uh, a chapter about farming, we suddenly stray into the lighting department. We suddenly go from seeds to lamps, and then back to seeds again. So what's going on? The aim of the parable, um, the parables in Mark 4, was to reveal the kingdom of God. Uh, there is a, a long section at the beginning on the parable of the sower, along with Jesus' explanation, where he mentions the kingdom of God. And then last week we heard of the parable of the growing seed, which was prefaced by the kingdom of God being mentioned. And next week, I think it'll be the mustard seed parable, and at the beginning, um, it also mentions the kingdom of God. So here, right in the middle of the parable, which sticks out, uh, so right in the middle of these parables, is this one, the one about uh, the lamp. And I looked at the literal translation of verse 21, and if you look up the interlinear Greek Bible, sounds terrible, uh, terribly exciting, um, uh, you find that it gives you the passage, and then it gives you the, the Greek words for the passage, and then it gives you the translation of each, each, each Greek word one by one. And it turns out that what it's actually saying is not a lamp, but the lamp. Um, and in this passage, I believe that the lamp, Jesus was talking about himself. He was the lamp. We know in John chapter 8 and verse 12, uh, Jesus says to people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus was saying, I am the lamp. I am the light. Um, this won't always be hidden. There are things that are secret, but uh, the message of the kingdom is going to be made public. And when I reveal it to you, I need you to act on it because he talked about hearing and listening. And the implication was that you have to do something. The message of the kingdom was that Jesus has come as the fulfillment of God's promised salvation. But not in the way that the Jewish people or the Jewish leaders or anyone else expected or understood. But to usher in the kingdom of God. 
the restoration of God's creation as it was always meant to be. So Jesus is the light of the world. He was going to reveal that which had been kept secret and that which was disclosed. And talking about secret things, for some reason I was remembering a character that uh, was around about 20 years ago, um, a fellow called Dom Donald Rumsfeld. He was the former US Defense Secretary, and he was um, a strange-looking man, um, slightly sinister, and he famously referred cryptically to known unknowns and unknown unknowns, um, which seemed rather weird things to talk about. He was talking about the problems in, in, that America had to be able to uh, guard against threats. And known unknowns, which is a weird thing to say, um, it's a example, good example of an oxymoron, a contradiction, were things that we don't know, but we're aware that they exist. And as a country, they could um, take steps to sort of uh, mitigate against any potential threats. But the thing that really worried him was something he called unknown unknowns. And unknown unknowns were things whose existence they don't even know about, things so secret and hidden um, that if they were revealed, they would surprise them. And God's revelation about his plan for the kingdom was definitely an unknown unknown, but it was eventually going to be very much a known known. This was the mission of Jesus to reveal God's plan. And uh, to personalize this, we need to look at God's plan for us because as well as his general plan for what he wants to do, he has a specific plan for each one of us as individuals. And he wants to reveal that to us and he wants us to ask him what it is he wants us to do. And if we look at uh, Psalm uh, 119, verse 105, again, a very familiar passage. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light uh, on my path. And it's interesting because it's saying God wants to light up and direct us in the way that we should go. And the idea is the path is something we walk on. He wants us to move forward by him telling us how to go. Now, in my pocket, I just happen to have a torch, as you do on Sunday mornings. And not very powerful, but if the lights were out, it was very helpful to find the exit. And this is one of the torches that I use for my grandchildren. Uh, each of the three older grandchildren has a separate torch. And uh, so, for instance, when my grandsons come for Sunday evening dinner in the winter months, uh, it turns out they can't get back to the car unless they have their torch. And uh, they will say to me, Pa, where are our torches? Now, that Pa is me. Um, uh, I was originally Grandpa, but the oldest grandson couldn't say Grandpa. He shortened it to Pa, and that's how it stuck. Of course, when they shine the torches, they shine it in your eyes, they shine it in each other's faces, um, and eventually it gets them to the car safely. But it's part of their routine. And then when I go to collect my granddaughter, who, uh, my oldest granddaughter, who lives in uh, Whitehead, um, from one of her 
evening classes, she likes to go out to things, um, and if it's in the winter months, she'll say to me, Pa, where's the torch? And I'll give her her torch, and it'll lead her back home, and she'll be able to see where she's going. Torches like lamps light up your footsteps in the dark, and darkness represents the things that are hidden. The darkness in front of you becomes light, but only for a short distance. And the light represents the spirit-inspired word of God for us today. If you like, it's the manna. You remember in the wilderness, um, the manna was the bread that the children of Israel went to get every day. And the problem with the manna was you went and collected it. And if you tried to keep it and use it the day after, normally it would just go moldy. It was the word for today. Similarly, when God speaks to us, um, he wants us to do something with it today because tomorrow it won't be the word for the day it's the word for yesterday which in a sense doesn't work so God is looking for us to respond um, when he speaks to us to walk in the right direction he wants us to know what to say in difficult situations or um, who to speak to or how to help others in difficulty he guides us to make the next step and the idea with a lamp is it just shows you a, sh a short distance the next thing you need to do it doesn't show you in the distance because uh, the lights not that strong you have to keep going back and ask for the light for the next step and the next step and when he reveals truth for, to us it's up to us to act nobody uses yesterday's weather forecast today it would be silly I know sometimes yesterday's weather forecast or today's weather forecast is silly anyway because it didn't work, but God has a much, more, um, a much more sensible plan. And uh, his, work, his word is a lamp to our feet to show us how we can move forward. And just as Jesus revealed himself um, to people and about his kingdom to the people in Mark, he wants his light to reveal himself to us each day. Um, the problem of the people the people had listening to Jesus was many of them couldn't understand what he was saying. Many, many of them couldn't understand because they had an agenda. There was something that they had as important to them which meant they couldn't receive the things that Jesus was saying to them. They wanted Jesus to conform to their truth, the things they believe, and so they missed out. And we can do that too. We can go to God and say, look, I want to hear from you, God, but I want to hear this and this, and definitely not that. Um, and we want sometimes God, the Lord, to validate what we want to do instead of asking him, what do you want, Lord? The sort of clean slate approach. I know there are times when I've needed to hear from God, and I have to get to that point when I say, whatever you want, Lord, I will do it, even if it means doing the things that I don't expect or that I don't like. And uh, if you want to find guidance from God, that's the attitude you have to have. Um, and even if we struggle with, uh, um, with doing the thing, God is gracious. He won't stop speaking to us and leading us and guide us. So we need to remember that God is in the business of blessing us, and that's his default setting. And if we have a look at uh, Mark 
4, 24 and 25, the last couple of verses in the piece. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And the passage reminds us that we need to respond uh, when we know what God is saying to us. Uh, it talks about paying attention, suggests an urgency, doing something about it. And God's wor words so often ask for a response. And the phrase, the measure you give is the measure you get, sometimes translated as the measure you use um, is the measure you get, is a very familiar saying in the Bible. Um, you see it in lots of places in the New Testament. And famously, uh, in Luke chapter 6, it says, don't judge or you'll be judged. Don't condemn or you will not be, conde you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will be put in your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And it's a sort of clear message that occurs. Now, we know that our salvation doesn't depend on what we do, it's based on the blood of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. But so often in our lives, we need to realize that God's principles need to be obeyed and there are consequences for not doing what he asks us to do. It's not a threat, but it's just a warning, a statement of a fundamental spiritual law. Now, I remember um, when I was at school, you may remember, have subjects that you didn't like. Well, the one I never liked was physics. Apologies to anyone that teaches physics, but I never liked it. And I've forgotten much of what I learned, but for some weird reason, I, uh, I have remembered um, what I learned for O-level, uh, my exam in, in 1971, a year or two back. Um, one thing I still remember is uh, what, what Newton's third law of motion says, to every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's a law of consequences. When we walk in a particular direction, we walk because we've exerted a force in the ground in the opposite direction, and it allows us to go forward. And in a sense, uh, when God says, um, the measure you give will be the measure you get, it's in some way his version of that, if you like. That's the way I see it anyway. I have a strange mind, and that's the way it works. So, here God is, is, is um, stating his spiritual law, that the measure we give is the measure we get. Another way of putting that is, how do we want God to uh, bless us? How do we want God to treat us? And the answer is, we want God to bless us a lot. We want to be treated well. We want to be forgiven, or we want to be judged uh, leniently. And he says, okay, that's fine, but I will judge you, I will give to you, I will uh, treat you in the way that you treat others. So in a sense, we're choosing how God will treat us by the way that we deal with other people, how, um, how merciful we are to them, how um, forgiving we are with them, how much we give in general. That's why we need to listen and to be careful and to respond with obedience. Uh, the Lord wants us to grow and prosper, and he doesn't want us to fall back. Our Christian walk is a relationship, and it's a bit like riding a bicycle. 
And on a bicycle, you either move forward or you stop and fall off. And when I was young, um, I lived in, uh, in Stevenage over in England, and we lived in a, um, a flat in the main high street uh, over a shop where my dad worked. He was the manager there. And at the back below us was a, a large backyard, ideal for cycling, let me tell you. It's where I learned to cycle, and my brother and I would race each other, and then, of course, we decided we'd, we'd try the slow bicycle race. And the slow bicycle race is where you're trying to hardly move. You're sort of moving, inching forward, and not falling off. And the last person to uh, stay on the bike wins. Well, um, I normally lost. Now, he was two years older than me, but nevertheless, I normally fell off first. As Christians, we just can't stand still. Um, we have to go forward. Um, in my life, I've seen many times when, you know, you, you sort of catch yourself on and you think, well, how am I doing today? Um, how does it compare with a year ago or two years ago? And sometimes you just see that things have slipped or you haven't quite, um, uh, you're not quite doing the things you did two years ago and you have to go back to God and say, look, Lord, I need to make a change here. What do I need to do? And um, I guess that many of us have had these problems before. It's the problems of uh, human nature. Uh, we need to look for a way to move forward. Sometimes we need to see uh, and catch ourselves on and allow God to speak to us. And in the context of uh, what he's saying, we need to be a faithful listener and not just a hearer, um, it talks about. Um, and as we do what God asks, he gives us more because he loves to give us more. And he wants us to avoid the trap of falling back. Uh, it talks about when even what we have will be taken away. And what it means is that we can be robbed of what is our birthright if we don't see that the enemy has so many ways of tripping us up and um, st stopping us from, from moving forward as Christians. And we need to be able to, sometimes we need someone to, to come alongside us and say, look, there's a problem here. Uh, and now you need to do something about it. So if we choose obedience, God will give us more spiritual understanding, and then we will grow. And um, just to look at uh, a couple of things at the end here, um, when we think of this parable, uh, we immediately think of um, maybe this parable in a slightly different context. Uh, the parable of the lamp is recorded in three Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Mark and Luke, the context is the same, but in Matthew, it's slightly different. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And if we have a look at Mark, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, we see it's in the bit about the salt and the light. It's in the light bit, surprisingly. Um, and um, it does suggest that Jesus may have reused parables in slightly different ways at different times. And he says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A well-known uh, preacher 
from the Victorian age was Charles Spurgeon. And he said something interesting. He said, the Bible is not the light of the world, it is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. And he was, I, I just love that phrase, the world reads Christians. In other words, people look at us as a way of seeing what the Bible is about and what God is about. And it's a sobering thought in many ways. It's a challenge that we are, to some people, the Bible. And Jesus is the light of the world, but we are to reflect his light through our lives. Our lives should demonstrate Jesus. And it's a massive challenge. And we see this put into practice in many ways, for instance, in our compassion ministries, where we're showing the love of Jesus to other people, demonstrating his love. Um, last week, we heard talk of uh, the well-known phrase, which has come into common speech, don't hide your light under a bushel. And it's based on Matthew's version of, uh, of the parable, and it means don't hide your abilities and good qualities from others. Jesus has done so much in our lives to change us and to equip us and to give us talents. And um, he reminds us in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, and this is one of my favorite verses, so I'm really glad to, to use it this morning. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this is an amazing verse when you actually look at it. It says that God has a detailed itinerary of things for us to do. And he prepared them in advance. Before the beginning of the world, he said, and here's the list for Ian Young. This is what I got him to do. And here's the list for, and so on, and you, each one of you. And he wants to guide us to fulfill our destiny, our purpose and give us opportunities to demonstrate his love to others. Too often, we don't fully grasp or understand what the Lord has done in our lives and how much we have to offer. And as well as that, of course, um, as well as showing Christ's love, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, he reminds us to, um, and I, I like this, uh, this little passage, uh, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. As well as actions, God wants us to use words. And all of us have a story of how we met Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And sometimes we just dismiss it and think of it as ordinary, but it's not. It's extraordinary what the Lord has done in our lives. And it's extraordinary what he can do through us in the lives of other people. And we can share the grace that God has shown us to others. And I like the way at the end of that, I haven't got it on the slide, but it says, and do this with gentleness and respect. Not sort of megaphone diplomacy um, in someone's face, but with gentleness and respect, just to share what God has done. So, in conclusion then, let us really hear and listen to what God is saying to us and be faithful to respond to him. Thank you.